for the better part of a month, the Seahawks defense has been rocking, giving up just 10 points per game in their last three games. But now they're going to have to try to keep things moving without one of their best players. We'll be breaking it all down on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, the host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here on our Victory Monday edition by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Vancouver, Washington, or in Springfield, Missouri. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Unfortunately, with this being a Victory Monday, we're going to have to start things off with some somber news, but we will get to a mailbag, and we'll also have our Monday musings, our instant takeaways after watching the All-22 coming out of yesterday's win over the Arizona Cardinals. This episode is brought your way by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks moving to 4-2 and two yesterday with a 20-10 win over the Arizona Cardinals. It was the third straight game that the Seahawks had given up. 17 or fewer points. They're giving up 10 per game in their last three games in large part because of how potent their pass rush has become. And unfortunately, we can't take the time right now to really reflect on the way that that pass rush has been blossoming. And we have to look at one of the players that was a key cog in that development now likely being out for the season. Pete Carroll dropping the bombshell today in his Monday post-game press conference that Uchenna Nuosu is likely going to need surgery to repair a pectoral injury that he suffered in yesterday's game. And Rob, on my social media, on my Twitter account, as well as my Facebook, I posted the play. It looked like a routine tackle, but it was the last play that Nuosu was on the field. You could see him on the ground for several seconds after the play before going over the sideline, did not return. And barring a miracle, Pete Carroll said they haven't scheduled surgery yet, but he made it sound pretty clear that this was going to be happening. And if he's going to have surgery on his pectoral muscle, being as late as it is in the season, there's no way he's going to be back in 2023. A major blow for the Seahawks defense. Yeah, it really is a major blow. Um, you know, Uchenna Nuosu, with all due respect to, to Boye Mafe and the improvement that he's made, of course, uh, Daryl Taylor, the, the splashy plays that he has had on occasion, the, the early second-round pick, Derek Hall, there's no question about it. From the outside, Uchenna Nuosu is the Seahawks' best pass rusher. He has also provided physicality in the run defense so this is not just about the pass rush. It is about that that run defense that remains uh, ranked in the top five in all of the NFL. And again, number 10 has been a huge part of that. So even with somebody as optimistic as Pete Carroll, there is no good way to, uh, to discuss this news. Um, this is a huge development for the Seahawks. You mentioned that he dropped this bombshell uh, during Monday's press conference at the end of yesterday's game. 
Sunday night, uh, you know, in his post-game press conference, Pete Carroll mentioned that he felt like the Seahawks had emerged from the game relatively unscathed. And then he said, well, except for, for Uchenna Nuosu, he's got a little bit of a pectoral strain. And that was, of course, the hope that this was going to be a strain, which even then would have been something that might have kept him out for a couple of weeks. Now the news that it might be a torn pectoral that will result in surgery. It's the only way they're going to repair something of, of that significance. Um, and so, again, this would be a season-ending injury and surgery. Um, and so the Seahawks are going to have to rely on the, the young pass rushers that we just talked about there. Um, I, again, Boye Mafe, Daryl Taylor, and um, and Derek Hall being the primary pass rushers at this point. And, and it raises all kinds of questions. I'm sure they'll get some in the mailbag about uh, you know where or who the Seahawks might be looking for on, on the trade market, which, of course, is only has about another week to go. Yeah, we'll get to some trade deadline discussion, absolutely. But I think big picture, when you're looking from a short-term perspective at least, this is not just about losing one of your best pass rushers. And obviously in today's NFL, that's the biggest deal. You have to be able to get after opposing quarterbacks. As Carol talked about today, it doesn't matter what your secondary is doing if you aren't getting after the quarterback. You can't play coverage without a pass rush. So Losing Nuosu, certainly the depth that they've got in the position is going to help. They've got players like Boye Mafe, Daryl Taylor. They like what they're seeing from Derek Hall to this point. But still, trying to replace a player like this, as Pete Carroll was pointing out in the press conference today, it isn't just about the production on the field. You're talking about a leader, a tough guy, a heady player that is consistent. He always plays physical, so he's somebody that – it has a domino effect on everybody else around him. You want to play with that physicality because you see number 10 do that. And they're really going to miss him. I think that's an understatement with this injury because this is a guy that they gave $59 million on a three-year extension on July 27th. And they did so for a reason because he was an impact player for this football team last year coming over from the Chargers and instantly helped both their run defense and their pass rush. I know last year was abysmal defending the run, but he was not one of the problems. He had 13 tackles for loss last season, and he already had, I believe, six of them this year. So it's really been exciting to watch him emerge as not just a starter caliber player, but a borderline star, a guy that was a Pro Bowl alternate last season. You can't just replace somebody like that now. As you mentioned, the good news is that the trade deadline has not passed yet. And so if the Seahawks want to make a move, they certainly could do that. But you have to remember, they don't have a ton of cap space, just a little over $7 million according to OverTheCap.com. And John Schneider doesn't necessarily want to give up a bunch of draft picks to try to bring somebody in either. So Pete Carroll today said they were planning to handle things internally. And in his words, they were going to try to absorb this injury to a Chenanuosu. So that means guys like Tyreek Smith and maybe Levi Bell, who was one of the preseason standouts as an undrafted player. One or both those guys are going to have to step into this rotation and be able to contribute unless they are going to go out and make a big move. You know John Schneider is going to work the phones, regardless of what Pete Carroll just said. But I do think that it's a trickier slope when you're looking to add a player, and it's certainly going to be tougher to add that impact star with the cap situation they have and, and just not wanting to give up the draft assets to make that happen either. 
Yeah, no question about it. I mean, because it would take significant assets, um, whether it be a current player on the roster or draft selections, to be able to get uh, you know, a pass rusher that is going to be able to provide the impact of a Uchenna Nuosu. And uh, you know, as we talked about, I mean, it's the pass rush, it's the run defense, but in Pete Carroll's words there, I mean, it's just the leadership factor, just the physicality. I mean, he was, I, again, I like to use this term, junkyard dog, and I mean it with all great respect for these players certainly don't want to equate any human being to a dog but my point is is they're just tough guys they're guys that play the game with the the ferocity that uh that you need to play if you're going to be successful in, in the box in the nfl and chen who has demonstrated that going back to his time at usc um did that you know with the chargers and even though he wasn't on the field as much because of course they had a couple of terrific pass rushers on the outside um in la that's one of the reasons why my opinion the Chargers screwed up by allowing Nuosu to get in the free the free agent market in the first place and Seattle swooped in and was able to get him and you know as you said I mean this wasn't just a starter this is a burgeoning star that's why you gave him this money so it just it breaks your heart from a just a human perspective because you saw a, a still a relatively young player who was just starting to scratch the surface as far as the, the possible Pro Bowls that might be ahead of him and for him to go down with this injury it hurts you as a as somebody who just is a, is a fan of people um, taking full advantage of when they get their opportunities, certainly anybody who is a fan of the Seahawks, um, they're going to be, uh, you know, commiserating this loss because it is a significant one. And uh, it does make for interesting conversation, however, as far as what John Schneider might be able to find out there in the market. Because again, if the Seahawks are going to try to look outside of this team, then you can't just get just some other guy, the pass rusher. It's got to be a significant player if you're going to try to uh, you know, escape this week without having some type of significant loss to your defense. That's just how big of a player, how big of an impact Uchenna Nuosu is in terms of on the field as well as just in the locker room yeah unfortunately this is one of those injuries where you can't just snap your fingers and suddenly hey we just brought in a player that's just as good there are going to potentially be some guys available in the trade market but again the price tag to bring those players in probably as rentals too that's the other thing that has to be noteworthy here you know there are some players that may be available but they're at the last year of their contract and so you're renting them you don't want to give up too many draft picks or high draft picks to be able to do that so john schneider is going to work the phones you know he's going to be looking but tyreek smith uh, levi bell the call is now going to go your way and those guys are going to have to step in and be able to try to pitch in a little bit, see if they can pick up some of the slack, because this is certainly a major blow for a defense that has been one of the best in the NFL now for the last month. It's going to be a very tricky loss for them to try to make up for along their defensive line. Coming up next, we're going to answer your questions on our Monday mailbag question, uh, ma Monday mailbag, excuse me. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, which is brought your way by our friends over at eBay Motors eBay Motors has teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Every week, we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster heading into Week 6 Monday Night Football. Let's see who Vinny has picked out for us for this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. If you're actually looking towards Week 7, Texans rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud has been on point as a pocket passer early this season, racking up the fantasy points with passing while limiting the damage. Through six games, he has only one interception to go with nine touchdowns. 
he's averaged just under 277 passing yards per game. And coming up in this next game, he draws a shaky Panthers defense that has fallen apart in recent weeks after facing bad QBs early. The Panthers, Panthers will have few answers for his key weapons in coverage, and Stroud will be comfortable to pick them apart for another strong fantasy passing performance. Vinny Iyer from Locked On Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship. And eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride runs smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget, tomorrow, it's Tell the Truth Tuesday. We'll be dishing out our final words of wisdom coming out of this win over the Arizona Cardinals. And we'll also have our first look at the upcoming opponent, a much-improved Cleveland Browns squad is coming off of another victory, a tight one against the Indianapolis Colts. So we'll be looking at a very good football team heading into week eight. And the Seahawks are going to have the throwbacks out there as well. Really exciting week coming up. So make sure you're listening to the Tuesday episode. Let's get to our mailbag now, Rob. And the first question here, you get the honors. This one coming from Savage Cookie. Should the Seahawks extend Jordan Brooks like yesterday? <laughs> well, I think that on, on the one hand, sure. Uh, you know, I mean, what Jordan Brooks has done in terms of his recovery from the ACL tear, um, how well that he has played, albeit in somewhat limited duty um, so far this season. Yeah, I think that you you want to extend him. On the other hand, the and, and tragically, the injury that occurred to Chanuosu is uh, you know just yet a reminder of how fragile players can be, um, and so you're you're going to be cautious. You're going to want to see Jordan Brooks be able to kind of you know hopefully play out this entire season without having any other type of injuries. I, I remain still skeptical. I cannot believe that he has had the recovery that he has. He looks absolutely terrific, um, and so I, to the the point of the the, the you know the the caller, um, you know, or the person writing this question, I, I think that if you are, if you are committed to Jordan Brooks, you feel like that he can be the long-term answer at the will linebacker position, then yeah, I think that you should extend him just because of the fact that he has shown that dedication. He certainly has the speed, the athleticism, um, just the explosive power that he has always demonstrated. That's why he was a first-round selection in the first place. But again, you're always going to be a little bit nervous about a player who's coming off of such a significant injury and had such a quick turnaround to get him back onto the field. So I agree with the idea. I'm just one of those who's a little bit skeptical of it um and so i would just have to be banking on what my own med medical staff for the seahawks is basically saying about what do you feel like the long-term prognosis on jordan brooks is he going to be able to continue playing at this high level from a health perspective uh not only the rest of this year but over the, the course of several seasons if you're going to be looking to sign him to a long-term extension Next question here coming from Anthony Paz on X or Twitter, if you still call it the old name like I do. With Nuosu unfortunately now out for the season, what are the chances Daniil Hunter gets traded to Seattle? Also, how well would he fit in our scheme? So looking at the first part of that question, 
This would actually still be a name if you're wanting a big name that could come in and immediately improve your pass rush post the injury to a Chenoweth. Obviously, Daniel Hunter is an incredible talent, a guy that's had double-digit sacks multiple times in his career. He's a guy that can play the run as well. And he's in the final year of his contract. There's void years the next two years of the way the Vikings restructured it. But the Seahawks would only have to absorb a little over $5 million because his, his cap hit for the team that traded for him for a full season would be a little over $11 million. So we're looking around $5.5 million. The Seahawks could absorb that. They wouldn't have much flexibility away from that with the injuries and other things like that with a salary cap. But in, without getting too deep in the woods with salary cap structure and the complications behind that, the Seahawks could financially afford to make this move. But that second part of the question, I think, is the key here. As big of a fan of Daniil Hunter as I am, and, and I think he's a fantastic player when he is healthy. He's had his own injuries he's been dealing with. He's been productive this year. Even though the Vikings have really struggled this season, he has had a good year. He's playing at a high level. He's still under 30 years old. I feel like he's been in the league for like 40 years, and he's still under 30 years old. So he's still a fairly young player. The issue for me is I don't know that he fits the bill for a 3-4 defense as an outside linebacker. I don't think he's got that natural ability to drop back and cover. That's not something he's done. Now, from a pass rushing standpoint, he plays a lot as a stand-up defender. So that would be fairly natural for him. I just wonder if it would be the right scheme fit. He looks to me like a prototypical 4-3 defensive end. The Seahawks could maybe find a way to make it work, but I just don't know that that is the best fit from a schematic standpoint. And the injury history, the fact you're running him, I think the Vikings would ask for a fairly high draft pick to swing him too. They don't have to make a deal necessarily. I, I just think there's some factors there that would make it unlikely, but that could be a name that John Schneider would consider calling about that would make some sense. Next question here for Rob. How good worse is the run defense when Daryl Taylor is on the field? Seems like he is still really struggling to diagnose. And this one coming from Patter BA on X. Yeah, and, and thank you as always to everybody who's asking these questions. Uh, you know, I, I think that what you see with Daryl Taylor is the same thing I'm seeing that he is struggling to diagnose. I think he is he, he is one of those players that is going to uh you know kind of take his opportunities. Um we, we hear Pete Carroll, for example, rave about Devin Witherspoon, um, you know, and, and how that he just kind of knows when it's the right moments to go for it. I think Daryl Taylor has kind of struggled in, in that regard. Um, the the big touchdown run that we saw from Joshua Dobbs, um, that was one where Daryl Taylor read run. It was basically an option, um, and Dobbs it was going to hand the ball off to the running back, and Daryl Taylor saw that, went for the fake, dove inside, would have been in perfect position to make a tackle on the running back. But when Joshua Dobbs kept the ball, Daryl Taylor wasn't quite quick enough to change direction and be able to, to stop him there. And then, of course, there's a couple of other missed tackle opportunities from some of Seattle's defensive backs that resulted in that big long touch. And I'm just uh, illustrating with one particular play in this past game of where we do see Daryl Taylor continue to make just troubling decisions in terms of run defense. Uh, he, of course, had a sack in this last game, and he continues to be one of the most 
explosive pass rushers that the Seahawks have up the field. There are an awful lot of big plays that Daryl Taylor's ability to get upfield and force quarterbacks to step up into the pocket. That's contributing to some of the plays that some of Seattle's other pass rushers are, are getting to. So there's something to be said for that. But in terms of the instincts, I think that he is the least instinctive of Seattle's pass rushers. And that's one of the reasons why that he hasn't seen as much playing time as some of the other players on Seattle's list. Yeah. And you know, that play that you mentioned, the Dobbs touchdown, I'm not going to be quite as kind with the way that I word this. And if you are somebody that plays football video games, when I was watching this play live, I felt like I was watching somebody running the sticks on the controller there was like a four-year-old trying to to decipher a read option. That's what it looked like to me. He just looked completely unsure of what he was supposed to be doing there. And it, again, it looked like the stick was moving all over the place. It just, it was ugly. It was ugly. And unfortunately, we've seen plays like that too many times from Daryl Taylor. And I think that's one of the reasons why when you parse through Pete Carroll's words today about t- uh, Taylor's run defense, it almost felt like he was trying to talk him into the idea that Daryl Taylor has played solid run defense and it's unfortunate because the pass rushing contributions are there, but the run defense just hasn't been there. Next question here on our mailbag coming from Lonnie Anderson. What's the status on Derek young, Kenny McIntosh and Abe Lucas D Eskrin suspension now over as well. What roster roster adjustments would be made to bring them back in your opinion. So with the Uchenna Nuosu news, we didn't have time to talk about all these other updates, but we don't have anything new on Abe Lucas. So I can't expand on that. It really sounds to me like it's going to be very difficult for him to get back this week. They would love to have him against Cleveland, but I can't see any way that he's going to be practicing this week yet. So it continues to be a wait and see. Derek Young, Kenny McIntosh, McIntosh in particular, it sounds like he's going to practice on Wednesday from what Pete Carroll said. Young is very close. That one, we didn't get a specific answer whether he was going to be ready to practice this week, but those two guys are much closer. As for D. Eskridge, they've got a one-week roster exemption. So I'd be stunned if he's playing this weekend. They can get him going this week at practice. He's been running at the facility, so in shape that regard, but I don't think they're going to have to make any moves right now. Now, if Kenny McIntosh is ready to play this week after practicing, they do have a 21-day window, so they can make some moves there. But Lieutenant Nwosu is likely going to be going on injured reserve, so they're going to be making a move there to fill that spot. There's going to have to be some maneuvering if you're going to be adding McIntosh and bringing up one of those pass rushers. We'll just have to wait and see. I would suspect Cody Thompson getting waived would probably be the natural move if you're going to be bringing on another skill player. But those are some things that will happen later in the week once we have an idea where Kenny McIntosh is at and some of these other players. Our last question here, Rob, and this is the one that I was kind of teasing at earlier, a, a trade idea that has been floating around a lot on social media the last 24 hours. I have gotten multiple listeners that have been sending this. DK for Brian Burns straight up, who says no? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not so sure that Geno Smith would be a, a huge fan of this, um, you know, and I don't know. I think John Schneider and Scott Fitter, of course, the, the GMs for both these teams, of course, um, you know, I, I think that they'd have to consider it. I mean, th- there are obviously when you have the, the young quarterback and the investment that the Carolina Panthers made with Bryce Young, um, who right now is very much relying on Adam Thielen, the veteran, good football player, but doesn't have the explosiveness of a DK Metcalf 
staff. You can definitely see why it would make an awful lot of sense from the Carolina perspective. At the same time, I just don't know that I'm quite buy into all of the conspiracy theories and things out there. You know, the Seahawks are down on DK Metcalf. Pete Carroll basically, you know, de facto suspension for a week. You know, it wasn't the DK Metcalf that was hurt. Is that Pete Carroll was trying to send a message to his star wide receiver? All that. It's it kind of like the conversation we just had about with Daryl Taylor. There are a lot of plays that DK Metcalf makes that don't go down in the staff book it's just his physical presence daryl taylor's ability to push the pocket from the outside and force quarterbacks or running backs at times into the arms of other defenders is significant and dk metcalf with his size his speed there is a reason why tyler lockett jsn jake bobo whoever the case they're never double teamed that's because if you're going to double team anybody on the Seahawks receiver core, it's almost always going to be DK Metcalf. So I, I think that there's a possibility of this. I mean, certainly, I, again, I think the need for a pass rusher is significant. And obviously the Seahawks were able to get this latest victory against a, a weaker Arizona Cardinals team. But still, get the victory without DK Metcalf. I think there's going to be that much more buzz about this idea. But personally, I think that the more likely scenario might be the Daniil Hunter option that we just talked about a couple of moments ago i'm not going to throw this out i wouldn't be stunned if the seahawks made a move of this caliber i think that they are in go now win now kind of a mode um but at the same time to trade dk metcalf for any pass rusher one-on-one then i'm gonna have to look a lot closer at the how the numbers would work out in that regard but there's no question about brian burns a terrific player any team in the nfl would be happy to have him yeah, he's a terrific player, but there's no way in hell that this move is happening. And I'll give you a couple reasons why. Metcalf has multiple years on his deal. They just extended him last year. And you're going to have to pay a big dead cap hit if you move him. And oh, by the way, we're talking about a 25-year-old receiver that is in the prime of his career. I know Brian Burns is in the prime of his career, but he's a free agent after this year. He's playing on a franchise tag right now. So you would have to take a cap hit of $8 million fully guaranteed for the rest of the season, and you would only gain $2 million by trading Metcalf away because most of that savings would be a dead cap hit. So you'd be eating most of your cap for the rest of the season, and you would be trading away a talented young receiver that is under club control for the next several years. So I don't see any way that this is happening. I think it's a really fun idea to throw out there, but I don't think the Seahawks are down on DK Metcalf to the point where they're going to be moving him right now, even with the need now they have for pass rushers. Could I see them calling about Brian Burns from a perspective of trading draft picks? Absolutely. I don't see this type of a blockbuster trade with two stars getting traded for one another in the middle of the season. It just doesn't happen in the NFL. So I don't see this move happening. It's fun to talk about though, from a hypothetical standpoint, coming up next, we're going to dish out our Monday musings coming out of yesterday's win over the Arizona Cardinals, our in-depth takeaways, offense, defense, and unfortunately maybe a little bit of special teams after that performance yesterday at Lumen field. Don't go away. You're listening to the Monday edition of locked on Seahawks, which is brought your way by our friends over at FanDuel. Get ready for week eight in the NFL with incredible offers from FanDuel America's number one sports book right now. New customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets 
guaranteed. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get into the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including looking at spreads for next week's Seahawks-Browns matchup at Lumen Field, player props such as Devin Witherspoon's increasing rookie of the year odds, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you so much for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Tomorrow, we'll be taking a first look at the Cleveland Browns, a really feisty defensive team led by Miles Garrett. They're coming off another victory. This is a team that's going to be coming to Lumen Field feeling really good about themselves winning the past couple games, including knocking the 49ers from the ranks of the undefeated. You won't want to miss a jam-packed Tuesday episode coming up tomorrow here on Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks improved to 4-2 and two yesterday, and obviously the news of Uchenna Nuosu's injury today put a little bit of a somber mood in the VMAC, but nonetheless, this was the win in the division they were looking for. Not pretty for most of the game, but they found a way to get by the Cardinals, who once again were were pesky, but they didn't make enough plays to win this football game. Let's talk about our Monday musings here, Rob. Our in-depth takeaways, we both had a chance to revisit the game. We've rewatched it. I've watched the All-22. So what's the first thing that jumps out to you coming out of this game, whether it's positive or negative? What's the first thing that comes out of this victory that you'd like to chat about here? Well, I just think the, the first thing would just be to calm down and all the, the talk out there on, on talk radio and, and on, you know, the social media accounts of, of benching Geno Smith. To me, it's just comical. When, when you consider the fact that the, the Seahawks have had just this turnstile along the offensive line when they are, are starting two rookies at the wide receiver position, or at least not starting, obviously Tyler Lockett started, but still Jake Bobo and Jackson Smith and Jigba gained significant time there. That, that Seattle is keeping their tight ends increasingly often in to block. And so, you know, the, those relatively easy throws over the middle, the shorter throws, Geno Smith is not taking He's not getting those opportunities. He is being forced to throw the ball down the field. Now, was the interception that was directed towards Jake Bobo when Geno Smith decided, was rolling out to his left, was that a, a good decision? No, it was terrible. It was probably the worst decision I've seen him make at this point in the season. And he did look... Uh, uh, basically kind of stare down JSN for another possible interception that Kaiser White had in his hands. But like the fumble between he and Ola Timmy, I mean, that was uh, – it, it happens. These things happen, especially when you are making the adjustment to a brand-new center. And so I just hear so many people talking about, you know, oh, Seattle has all these turnovers. They're going to fall apart. Corbin, they, they lost the turnover battle three to zero in this game. And yet still, at least in my opinion, never were really in doubt that who was going to win this football game. I know that Arizona had the lead for a few moments, but really it felt like this was a game that Seattle was in control of from the outset. And again, I just, I, I know that Pete Carroll's mantra is protect the football and that's the way that they win football games, obviously. But at the same time, for those people out there who are suggesting that uh, the Seattle needs to make all of these changes at the quarterback position or at the running back position, wide receiver, because of a couple of turnovers, uh, I just don't see that, in, at least not in my opinion. No, I came out of my All-22 rewatch feeling a lot better about this offense than what I did last week. I was really concerned coming out of that Bengals game with just some of the th things that I saw. But I mean, 
Geno Smith completed 75% of his throws and he had some phenomenal passes in yesterday's game. The throw to Noah Fant, as Pete Carroll's talking about today, there were five defenders in the vicinity and somehow he gunned that throw in there and Fant did a phenomenal job catching that too with a defender draped all over it. But that throw, if it would have been any different, like an inch to the left, inch to the right, like it might have been intercepted. It was that it was that needled into the coverage there. It was an incredible window throw. And I don't even know if there was a window. It was literally thrown into the only spot that it could have been completed. So that was a phenomenal throw. The throw to Jake Bobo. Yeah, Bobo made a phenomenal catch getting both feet down. But that was an excellent throw in the red zone from Geno Smith. I thought that Ken Walker the third ran really hard, didn't have a lot of blocking in front of him most of the day, still got over 100 yards. So the fact that the third down improvements we've seen the last couple of games, that is going to start turning into more points. And I think Geno Smith knows, hey, I've made these big mistakes in the red zone, red zone the last couple of weeks. This one is arm got hit. So that in, that played into the interception as well. Jake Bobo sure. was open. If he could have got the ball over the top of the defender there, Bobo might have had a second touchdown of the game, but unfortunately he was rolling out to his left. It was a bad decision. He never should have thrown that football, but I I just feel like this offense is so close and getting the production that they got from JSN and Bobo yesterday. And the fact that you were able to get a few big plays from the tight ends, Parkinson had a 27 yard catch. They had five passes over 18 yards for those being over 20. They had explosives yesterday in the passing game. So I feel like there's more positives coming out of this game. I thought the pass protection was great. Geno Smith didn't take a hit in this game. That wasn't his fault. From my opinion, the offensive line did a great job protecting him for most of this game. So I feel like the offense is in good shape. They just got to find a way to finish drives. They got to find a way to get things rolling in that regard. But overall, I'm feeling pretty good about this offense, uh, at least compared to last week. And I think they're very close to popping. No, I 100% agree with you. And you basically kind of took the words out of my mouth as far as like with the Jake Bobo play. I mean, obviously an incredible play by Bobo. I mean, one harmed um, and then to, to drag his toes the way that he does um, for the touchdown. Uh, you know, and JSN and getting himself involved in this game, obviously his first NFL touchdown. But just from the outset of this game, it just looked like he was in a different mindset. I, I had mentioned before that I thought at times he was playing the kind of the deer in the headlights look. He looked angry in this game. He he looked like he was into it from the jump. Uh, maybe it's just that he recognized that he was going to be a huge part of the game plan with DK Metcalf out. Um, but Seattle had schemed to open his touchdown. Um, they were getting him involved in the wide receiver screen and a couple of, of deeper balls as well. Um, you know, he was showing the, the ability after the catch, the aggression after the catch that I saw when he was being a superstar at Ohio State. So to me, that was one of the, the very encouraging things about this as well. Well, um, is again just the the pinpoint accuracy from Geno Smith. I, I, I should have riled off some of the numbers that you just did when I was talking about. Don't fret about the turnovers. Everything is going to be fine in that regard. But to me, one of the most encouraging things was just the play of the young wide receivers. We've seen it over and over again. JSN on his college tape and in training camp, you and I are both there. We saw it. Jake Bobo basically the entire time, um, you know, not only his college tape, but obviously what he, his, his limited opportunities for the Seahawks. The, the young wide receivers for this club um, are really, really playing very, very well. And, and that to me is one of the most exciting elements about this is that uh, it's just kind of showing Seattle's depth at a position, you know, 
Corbin, you and I talked about this so many times over the last couple of years. Could the Seahawks find a third wide receiver? They've got four or five wide receivers in this squad that can actually go in there and make some big plays when Geno Smith calls upon them. Yeah, that just begs the question, where does D. Eskridge fit into this? And like I said, he's got a roster exemption this week, so they don't have to put him on the roster for the Browns game. But they're going to have some decisions to make. Their Dariq Young's getting close to being back. So uh, there are some tough decisions that they are going to have to make here in coming weeks at that receiver position. And Jake Bobo is only making it, and quite frankly, he's making it easier with what he's doing out there. Yeah. You can't justify taking him out of the rotation to put D. Eskridge in right now. You just can't do it. So Bobo's made life easier for the coaches, not so much for D. Eskridge coming off of his suspension. I was planning to discuss Seattle's emerging star on their defensive line before the Uchenna Nuosu news came today, but I feel like it's even more important to discuss where Boye Mafe is at now. At this stage in his development, we knew the elite traits coming out of Minnesota. This guy was a four, low 4.5 4 40-yard dash speed at 260-plus pounds. You just looked at the raw tools and you thought this kid could be a really good NFL pass rusher and just all-around edge rusher in this 3-4 defense. But he was so unpolished coming into the league, and yet here we are now in year two, and seeing that one drive where Pete Carroll was mentioned after the game that he jumped, it got airborne when he thought Josh Dobbs was going to throw the ball. It let Dobbs escape the pocket. He got a first down scrambling. That's a play that was eating at Boye Mafe after the game. But what we have learned, Rob, to this point about this kid, he is an incredibly quick learner, and he doesn't make the same mistake twice. When he makes a miscue like that, he learns from it, and he did it quick on that same drive. He single-handedly took the Cardinals – out of scoring position. They were down to the 27-yard line of the Seahawks shortly before halftime. It looked they were going to get at least a field goal there, but then they have a holding penalty, and after that, boy, Mafe went to work. He made first-round pick Paris Johnson Jr. look horrible on back-to-back reps with swipe rip moves, got up field, and just quickly turned to the corner, collapsed on the quarterback, had a quarterback hit on second down, and then on the third down, he got that sack that had eluded him a couple of times. So he single-handedly destroyed that drive for the Cardinals, sent him into that locker room without any points to show for a drive that looked pretty promising up till those big plays. But he had a pass breakup too. This kid just keeps coming through week after week, four straight games with a sack. So I think it's fair to say that elite traits are turning into elite football skills. This kid is really turning heads and his second year leap is now going towards stardom. It, it certainly is. Uh, it's been very exciting. There was a couple of pass rushes where he, Boye Mafia did not get home um, that I thought were actually some of his best rushers of the game. Um, as I've mentioned many, many times on the on our show, I think I, that Daryl Taylor is still Seattle's speediest off the snap. Um, it's his flexibility around the corner that, again, it doesn't matter if he gets home, he is forcing the issue. But Boye Mafe is absolutely um, has ascended into that role. Uh, he had a couple of snaps here where he is leaping off of off of the ball um, and being able to get and cross the face of the of the tackle. Now, that's a first round pick. It's a guy that plays his college ball at the left tackle position, making the switch over to right tackle. It's going to be that much more critical for Boye Mafe to can kind of continue this ascent. Um, now with the tragic news that Uchenna Nuosu is likely out for the season. But still, very, very encouraging. But I would say this. You, you mentioned single-handedly, and, and there's no doubt that Boye Moffitt took 
over the game at times for the Seahawks. And that was a huge reason why they won the football game. But a part of that reason is because of the secondary play behind them. And, and the Seahawks were sprinkling in more of that three safety look than they had at any point during the season. Corbin, there, there were so many plays in which they lined up. Basically, their base was a three-safety look. That's one of the reasons why it was remarkable that Jordan Brooks had the statistics that he did because he didn't play much in, in the first half of, of this football game. Um, you know, the, again, the three safeties, of course, we know the three safeties, Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams rushing up field often, and then Julian Love making some of his most reliable tackles. When you are going up against an offense that is as diverse as Arizona's is trying to be with a – multi-threat quarterback like a Joshua Dobbs, who's every bit as effective as a runner as he is as a passer. you got a speedy slot receiver like Rondale Moore. We talked about the different kind of flavors that the Arizona Cardinals have to the wide receiver position. To me, that is one of the most encouraging things about this game. I know that it was kind of an ugly game in some ways, 20 to 10 and all that kind of stuff. A lot of Seahawks fans were expecting the Seahawks to score, you know, 30, 40 points against the Cardinals. What To me, what was most encouraging about it is the Seahawks are becoming more multiple on the defensive side of the ball. They can basically line up. They can, it doesn't matter what type of offense they're going to be fe- uh, facing now. They can line up different personnel to kind of match up and erase whatever that uh, opposing offense is trying to do. And a huge part of that is that three-safety look that we talked about so much in the offseason. Good on the Seahawks for actually bringing it onto the field and showing the rest of the NFL that they can mix and match with the best of them. Real quick for my last take here on our Monday musings, you've talked about JSN and Bobo and obviously the rookie receivers deserve all the love that's coming to them today with over 120 combined yards and a pair of touchdowns yesterday. But let's give some love to the big fellas in the trenches on offense and on defense Oluwa Timmy and Bradford yesterday, Rob, by my charting, two combined pressures allowed in pass protection. Were they a bit more uneven in run blocking? Absolutely. But both these guys did a great job protecting Geno Smith, starting together for the first time in their NFL careers. And on defense, Cameron Young, you're not going to find his name in the box score, but as Pete Carroll was talking about today, He is getting the job done as a wall on that defensive line. Every time the Cardinals tried to run at him yesterday, it did not end well for them. He was holding serve at the line of scrimmage. He was doing his duties at nose tackle position. So he's a guy that, quite frankly, the numbers aren't there yet, but he is a player that is playing better and better each week as that rotational nose tackle that can come in for Jaron Reed. And so they're getting contributions from all those mid-round picks on the defensive and offensive line that help key to a victory. So got to give those guys some love, too, for a rookie class that is continuing to impress more and more by week. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure that you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have our closing thoughts coming out of Week 7 with Tell the Truth Tuesday, looking towards a big game against the Cleveland Browns in throwback uniforms as well. You won't want to miss that tomorrow. Thanks for listening in, and enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks!